Great. Good to see you all, um, especially if you're visiting for the first time. It's good to um, see you. I hope you're having a good time with us this morning and feeling at home uh, with us. Um, we uh, are not usually here. We're at Blybergate Hall normally, but it's, um, it's good that probably God's teaching us something, isn't he? Um, we, we felt a prophetic word about a physical expression of the hive, that prophetic word that we had some time back. Um, we'll send out a video. If you weren't able to be there on the night and you're wondering what I'm talking about, Liam's putting the finishing touches together for a video that will come out that will explain everything that we shared at that church family meeting. But one of the things we felt was a physical expression um, of the hive, that there would be a building in the town centre for us to serve us as a church family but reach out with increasing impact into the community. And uh, it's probably God that, uh, good that God's teaching us at the moment that church is not about buildings. <laughs> We're hopping from one place to the other, aren't we? Um, but he's uh, teaching us that it's about us as a people, isn't it? And what God's doing in and through us. So that's kind of a blessing, I think, in some ways. Um, really want to honour Paul and for the whole PA set up and Andrew's leading uh, the hall. It's pretty tricky when we come into new places just to kind of get our bearings and and so on, and Joy and Emma, who've uh, battled through many trials this morning, I think, to, to lead us in worship. So thanks, folks, for, for leading us so well. We're in uh, the book of Nehemiah at the moment, doing a series on uh, Nehemiah, the restoration man, looking at um, how he rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem, um, but also pointing us to Jesus, the restoration man. And uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you have one. Um, and what we're going to look at today is, how do we rebuild spiritually? How do we rebuild spiritually? How do we gain spiritual strength? I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase, um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You heard people say that? It's actually a line from the passage that we're going to have a look at today. And so we ask the question, how do we build spiritually so that the joy of the Lord is our strength? And what does that even mean? Perhaps we've wandered away from God. Maybe you're here this morning, but you've kind of spent some time maybe out of church and uh, kind of uh, spiritual life's, I guess, kind of been difficult the past few years. Perhaps uh, your spiritual life feels just a little dullened, just um, not quite as bright and as vibrant as it once was. Well, perhaps maybe you're here and God is awakening you spiritually for the first time. You feel like he's, he's waking you up. Or maybe it's just that you desire to be spiritually strong. Then this passage will have something to say to us. It's a turning point in the book. They've been rebuilding the walls physically, um, but now they're looking to rebuild their spiritual life together and renew their covenant life with God. The people of Israel had kind of forgotten about much of what God had done for them. This feast of booths, of tabernacles that we're going to hear about in this passage, they'd stopped celebrating it, started to forget the things that God had done for them, and it gets reinstated in this passage. So today we're going to look at four things that help us to build and rebuild spiritually. And they actually make up the basis of our Sundays, actually four key elements of why we gather together and and what we do when we're together. And they also speak into the four um, uh, things that we had spoken over us prophetically in terms of rebuilding and strengthening the foundations of the hive. um, Mike talked about uh, strengthening the foundations in terms of the word, in terms of our worship, in terms of the life of the spirit amongst us, and um, in terms of our works. Um, So I'll speak into that. So uh, I'm going to read the passage. It's Nehemiah 8. 
I thought we'd do something a bit different this morning. It's probably not something we'll do every week. But in the passage, um, it happens, they stand out of respect and reverence for the word of God. It's a kind of sign of respect. We still have it in our culture today, don't you? You know, the queen walks in, you stand. (laughs) Or the headmaster for assembly. Remember that stand for the headmaster? Or um, maybe if you've been to a C of E church, sometimes the vicar will walk in from the back and everybody stands as he uh, walks in, or at a wedding or a funeral, um, or even a football match. You know, Norwich City come out to play, everyone stands, uh, out of reverence and respect. <laughs> so I thought, I thought we'd do that this morning. So should we do that? Should we stand? And I'm going to read the passage. Here we go. Uh, And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they'd heard. So there had been children there as well. And on the first day of the seventh month... And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Long old preach. I won't go that long this morning. Four or five hours. I'll save you that. Um, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they'd made for the purpose. And beside him stood a number of his friends on his right hand, and a number of his friends on his left hand. You can read the names for yourself. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, as we are. And Ezra praised, he he blessed the Lord, um, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also... The Levites, whose names you can read there as well, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. They gave the meaning so that the people understood the meaning. They read from the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said, uh, this is Nehemiah to them, Go on your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, don't be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. They found written in the law that the law had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths, that's temporary shelters, during the feast of the seventh month. They should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, He said, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm and other leafy trees to make the booths with, as it's written. It tells them to do that in Leviticus uh, 23 and also Deuteronomy 16, as well as a number of other passages. And so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate, the 
square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who'd returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. They reminded themselves of the years when the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness and what God had done for them in rescuing them out of Egypt. Uh, for from the days of Jeshua, was Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of God. Yeah. Do have a seat. Thought it'd be, they do it in the passage, so I thought it would be nice. It's not something we'll necessarily do every week. I won't get you on your feet every, every week for the reading, but I thought it would be good to do. Because we honour the word of God, don't we? We respect what God has said to us. Uh, we revere it. So, What are the four things that we can do to rebuild spiritually? And the first thing in the passage is verse 1, they gather as one. They'd been building for 52 days, 52s of hard labour, of busyness, of dawn till dusk, building away. Probably had other things to do, given that that's all they've been doing for 52 days. But the first thing they do as a people is they gather together. That's what they prioritise above anything else. Reminds me of that verse in Hebrews 10, 20. Um, 425 it says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works how do we do that not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and so verse one they find a communal space that's big enough for them all to gather at this place called the water gate everyone men women children anyone who could understand um, the temple had restrictions so they gathered out here in an open communal space in the city Um, so that they could gather as many as possible. And uh, this has been a time the last couple of years where we realised how important gathering together as one is, isn't it? Having had 19 months of not being able to do it consistently, really difficult. Even now, there'll be some who are listening at home to this recording who are in extreme circumstances where it's still perhaps not safe for them to gather physically with people. Um, Maybe... um, You know, for some of us, um, it's still a battle just to get here because uh, we've all had different experiences of lockdown. We've all had different perspectives on uh, coronavirus and the impact of it. For some of us, um, it's a light and breezy effort to be out in public without a mask on. um, And kind of that's just kind of the, the way God's made you, your temperament. And for some of us, it's a real battle walking in the room this morning. Um. People not wearing masks, some of us wearing masks. We've got different kind of opinions on that, haven't we? Different views, different ways we experience that. We're showing love and grace to one another in the way that we kind of work out our differences in the way that we're kind of coming out of the lockdown. It's difficult sometimes, isn't it, to gather? Um, but it's really key and really important. And just to say, honour those of you for who it's a real battle to get here, whether that's because you've got young children and getting them out the doors is a challenge, or, or whether actually being in a crowd is a challenge, having not been for so for a long time. Because gathering is such an important part of our life together. And this is why we do Sundays, isn't it? It's We gather on Sundays together as one people. It's not just a tradition, it's to build spiritual strength in us as a people that's why we get together in house groups and gather at prayer meetings and have meals together and spend time together outside of sundays and house groups it's gathering is really important and interestingly in the passage it's the water gate the water gate's 
uh, in Jerusalem was near the Gihon Spring. It supplied fresh living water to the city of God, brought this vital necessity to the people. Fast forward 300 years. I read this passage last week in John 7:37-39, and it says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. <laughs> Jesus is not being subtle here. There's a big festival going on. He's not like due to speak or anything. He stands up and cries out loudly so everyone in the crowd can hear. And he says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus has been glorified now. Jesus is at this same festival the festival of booze, he stands up and declares that if anyone is spiritually thirsty, if anybody needs spiritual rebuilding, then to come to him, he'll send his spirit to live in them. And it will be like a well of water you can constantly drink from, a river flowing. That means you will never get spiritually dry. Never get spiritually dry. One of the prophetic words is about the foundation of the life of the spirit amongst us. That when we gather as one, the spirit is living in each and every one of us. He's amongst us, therefore, and at work through us. That he, we're rebuilding one another spiritually. That God is doing it through us as we meet. So when we come, we don't come kind of passively to kind of receive something from the front. Other people are going to do the stuff and we'll receive it. We come to make a contribution to one another, don't we? That's, that's what the Bible tells us about gathering. We each come with our own contribution, whether that's a prophetic word, to encourage someone or uh, a tongue or whether a song or an administrative task or to lead or to pray blessing over someone. Maybe to stand with somebody through a tough time. Maybe to share a story of what God's doing in your life. Maybe to bless somebody or do good to someone that morning. We each have a contribution to make to one another, don't we? To rebuild one another spiritually, to bring spiritual strength to us as a people. So that's the first thing, they gather as one. The second thing is, verse 1, they told Ezra, bring the book. Bring the book. Verses 2 to 3, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly and he read from it. From early uh, morning until midday and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I find that really challenging. (laughs) Sometimes I turn up somewhere and I'm not exactly going bring the book (laughs) and it's a challenge isn't it for our ears to be attentive to what's going on you know it could be difficult isn't it if the preacher goes over half an hour warning to self (laughs) it could be difficult for our ears to be attentive I don't know about you but find it easy perhaps to uh, listen to a podcast for an hour uh, but an audio bible for an hour Easy to watch TV, listen to music or radio for hours, but to listen to the Bible read or to listen to a preach for an hour long uh, can be difficult, can't it, to be attentive to the word of God. It can be so easy to just switch off, disengage. Um, Perhaps you've done that already and you don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) But it can be really easy to do, can't it? And uh, this is not just a one-off event that they're at, but it says in verse 18, day by day, as we're read from the Torah... Um, this is something they did every day. 
And it's a prayer, isn't it? To pray for us. Lord, help us. Help our ears be attentive to your word. Help us to drink it in, to saturate ourselves with, with your word. Help me to read, listen and engage with the word of God. It's difficult. Nobody, nobody finds reading the Bible easy. It's not easy. Everyone picks up bits of it and goes, oh, it's, it's difficult. But it's a real, it's a real prayer, isn't it? To just be attentive to the, to what the, the word of God is saying. And Ezra's explanation, along with the help of the Levites, um, the Levites in 2 Chronicles 17 tells us had this like role of teaching the people, maybe in smaller groups or going house to house and explaining uh, the word of God. They um, brought it home to them. They brought the word of God to life for people. They made it accessible for everyone so that everyone could understand what was being said and therefore apply it uh, and possibly translating it for them too. This is why we've got folks in here serving the children, haven't we? So it can be made accessible so they don't listen to me for half an hour and switch off after one minute and then 29 minutes of fidgeting. <laughs> it's to serve them. So the word of God can be accessible to them. It's why we've got um, youth group. Um, Evelyn and Amanda do a great job of just uh, meeting with the girls from time to time online uh, using, I think they use WhatsApp, don't you? And just breaking it down uh, for them. It's why we do house groups, isn't it? Um, uh, love a day when we just create our own resources alongside preaching series so that we can break down the, the, the series that we're going f- through and dig into it in more detail and think about application for our own lives in house groups. Because that's what house groups are for, isn't it? Kind of applying the word of God to our life. How, does the, how do these passages speak to me? It's why we have a Sunday preach. It's because... One of the roles we're playing is trying to break down the word of God, make it accessible to us. The prophetic word that we had said to strengthen the foundations of the word, that we would understand it and apply it to our lives, both individually and corporately. Being doers of the word, disciples are learners, the people who put the word into action. We learn to be more like Jesus and do the things that he did. So that's the second thing. So gather as one, bring the book. Thirdly, Worship the Lord. What's their response to the word? Verse 6, corporate worship. It says in verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord. He praised the Lord, the great God. And how do all the people respond? Amen. Amen. They agree with him, lifting up their hands as we have been doing this morning. They bowed their heads, worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra prays this prayer of worship, a praise, a blessing to God. And the people with their voices agree with him. Amen, amen. And with their actions, bowing their heads, putting their faces to ground, lifting their arms. Because there's something significant about our body language when we're worshipping the Lord. We're not just using our voices to sing songs and to sing our agreement with the words that have been sung this morning. But with our whole being, we're worshipping the Lord. We're raising our hands, we're kneeling, we're bowing, we're dancing, we're, if you've, you know... Got the, got the rhythm and the energy for it. Um, uh, we're clapping. We're using our whole bodies to worship the Lord. This is something that we do culturally, isn't it? You go to a football match. And I mean, there's a mixture of what's going on. But you'll see people standing, raising their hands, clapping, shouting out spontaneously. If you sit where I sit, often when I go to the football, you can just hear it going on around you. Songs start over here, they start over there. It's a bit chaotic. Probably not what we'd want on a Sunday morning. But there's something cultural, isn't there, about using your body language um, to, to praise and to worship. 
And then verse 9, what's the response? All the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They had this moment where it dawned on them um, how far they were from God, how they'd lived life um, apart from him, not as they should have and as he had told them to. For generations they'd been forgetting these festivals that he'd told them um, to celebrate, to remember what he'd, he'd done to them. They were marrying people they shouldn't have. They were not giving generously to God's work. They were uh, forgetting God's saving work in their history as a people. And now in this passage there's this awareness of sin. It's kind of, oh, realise what we've been doing. Um, there's a, a great remorse and a repentance. A decide, oh, we've been living like this. We need to repent, turn around and start doing this instead. I wonder if you've had a, a time like that. I wonder if you've had a time like that where you've been doing something wrong and suddenly it's just dawned on you. You're kind of oblivious to it before, but then just suddenly God makes you aware of it. You think, I can't follow Jesus and live like this and do that. And this often happens in times of sung worship. The Lord is here with us. He's speaking to us. We're engaging and encountering him as we worship He wants to speak to us and often the thing he wants to speak to us is about a way that we're living our life and he wants us to turn around and live another way. Um, Recently I was reading, I'm reading through Matthew at the minute, I'm in the Beatitudes and um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. And I realised something I'd been doing was turning those Beatitudes into like an attitude that you attain. Like if I just have that kind of frame of mind, then God will bless me. And I just felt God say, no, 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 self-righteous so-and-so. It's not something that you kind of attain or earn by having the right attitude. This is a way that I, Jesus, bless you just because of the state you're in and the condition you're in. Look at the mess you're in. And I just bless you out of my grace and because I love you. Not because you've got the right attitude. Just an awareness. Oh, no, I've been thinking the wrong way. I need to think this way. Jesus just wants to bless me. It's not because I've got the right attitude or I think the right way about it. Maybe you've had a a similar kind of occasion. Um, Next week, Rod will preach more on this theme of repentance, so I'll kind of leave it there. But um, the prophetic word spoke as well, didn't it, about our worship individually and corporately as living stones being built together into a spiritual house, a dwelling place of God. This is something, that's why it's so vital that we do this every gathering. Whenever we're praying or we're here on Sundays, we're worshipping the Lord together. And fourthly, this is the final one, to feast and rejoice. That's what rebuilds us spiritually. We rebuild spiritually by gathering as one, bringing the book, by worshipping the Lord and by feasting and rejoicing. Verse 9, this day is holy to the Lord, don't weep. I mean, what they're kind of saying to the people is this is not appropriate. It's not the time. This is an occasion of joy. Why was it an occasion of joy? The, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles was a memorial. This is one, what, what one writer says, a memorial of God's grace towards his people in historical acts of redemption. And therefore, it's not weeping, but rejoice because of what God's done for you. Remember his grace towards you. And celebrate it. Be joyful because of what he's done for you. Remember that song? Um, it was quite annoying. The It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. 
it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because it's, if it's your birthday party or it's a wedding or something like that, it's not appropriate, is it, to be crying? It, and that's kind of what there's kind of sentiment here. It's not appropriate to be crying. It's not, this is not the time. Even in the pain and the remorse uh, of our, and the sorrow of our own sin, it shouldn't hinder us from coming to God in joy and celebration for what he's done for us. No matter how dark the thing is, no matter how dark the sin in our life is, it should not hinder us from coming to joy, uh, God in joy and celebration. It's appropriate for us to be joyful because of what he's done. It's not appropriate for us to wallow in our sin. If you kind of have that moment of awareness or just awareness of your failures or your weaknesses or your vulnerabilities and you kind of get into this mope where you're kind of feeling a bit sorry for yourself, self-pitying, wallowing in your sin, it's not appropriate. It's not the time. It, I mean, it's appropriate to become aware of our sin, but it should always lead us to joy because Jesus Christ on the cross has died in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven and free. So every Sunday here is a time for us to come and be glad together, to be joyful, to celebrate. I'm forgiven. I don't deserve to be. I deserve to be nailed to the cross. I deserve separation from God for eternity. I deserve his wrath against me. And yet Jesus has suffered all that on my behalf so that I could be forgiven. That's a reason to celebrate, is it not? Every day. Especially when we come together on Sundays or we're gathering at house group or prayer meetings. To always begin with prayers of thanks, giving to God to say, thank you, Lord, you've forgiven me and I did not deserve it. What a reason to be joyful. Um, Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says this along those lines. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight burden that's on our shoulders sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance let us rebuild spiritually the race that is set before us looking to jesus not looking at our own sin and mess and kind of getting all tangled up in it looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith the perfecter of us the one who makes us right with god who makes us righteous Why? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. This is where strength is found. This is where strength is found in the cross. This is where strength is found for the race that's set before us. It's how we find strength to rebuild spiritually. This is the joy of the Lord, not to wallow in our sin or mope of what we have or haven't done and allowing the enemy to constantly accuse us and put us down and make us despair and weep and be down in the dumps. The the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our strength comes from rejoicing in what God has done for us, in what Jesus has done for us, his joy in going to the cross to save us from our sins and forgive us. That's where our joy and our strength is found each and every day. So if you're struggling for strength, come to the Lord and just thank him for what he's done. Remind yourself of all that he did for you in Jesus Christ, in his cross and resurrection, his life lived for you. That's where our strength is found. It reminds me... um, of the X Factor, and not many things do, because uh, I don't watch it much anymore. But 
Um, the whole point of the competition is that you sing to earn votes, don't you? And then the winner eventually wins because they won all the votes. And then they do this thing at the end, don't they, where they invite, come out for one last time and sing without, like, the, the kind of, like, you can see it on their faces when they're in the early rounds, like, really struggling to earn the votes. Sometimes they're incredibly anxious. They just fall apart on stage, don't they? But when they've won, come out and sing us another song and this freedom and this bounce suddenly, and you're like, that's the best performance they've ever given. Because there's a joy about them that comes because they're not trying to earn a favour anymore. They're not trying to win the votes of the public. They're just kind of enjoying the fact that they get to sing without the pressure of it all. And that's us, isn't it? We've no need to perform. Jesus has done it all for us. He's won all the votes on our behalf. He's earned the favour of the Father for us. We don't need to come out under pressure in life, trying to like live life that way he's already done it for us so we come out singing like at the end of the x factor that we've won because jesus has won the victory on the cross for us and we can enjoy ourselves we can smile we it's not appropriate to be kind of sour-faced do you know what i mean this is not should not i mean obviously life circumstances sometimes but just generally as a principle, it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. Smiles on our faces, joy in our hearts, and expressed in the way that we interact with one another and in worship God together. That's uh, the appropriate. We should be a people marked by joy and laughter. It's why Paul can write the book of Philippians, the book of joy from prison. It's why Peter and John in Acts 5.41 go out rejoicing after their life has been threatened. Don't you dare say anything about Jesus anymore. Otherwise, we will take your life. And they go out rejoicing. Yeah, that's why they could do this. This is what it means um, by the joy of the Lord is our strength. No matter the pain, the difficulty, the obstacles in the situation, the darkness of our sin, his joy is ours and it brings us strength. It was a joy to him to forgive us of our sins. And it's a joy for us to uh, to, to receive it, isn't it? Uh, Verse 10, just a final point. He says, go on your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. They're told to feast. They're told to kind of have the little luxuries that make a meal a feast. You know, we have uh, roast dinners. I'm in a luxury, luxurious position of having a wife who cooks a lot better than I do and loves doing it. So I'll come home. Jess, I know life will be quite difficult. Uh, we're under pressure. I'll come home as a roast dinner on the table I think oh yeah she's just like yeah I just enjoyed doing it but but some days or maybe special days there's Yorkshire puddings involved too and and there's stuffing and there's bread sauce and there's all these little trappings that turn uh, a meal into a feast pigs in blanket that's a good sign of a feast isn't it when pigs in blanket are on the table this is no longer just a meal we're feasting yeah and he tells that's that's the that's the marker of a joyful people is feasting. That's why we encourage us eat as often as you can together regularly. We do it in house group once a month at the minute. We have a meal together. We share about how life is going. We did it the other night. Prayed for each other because feasting together is important. It's why we had barbecues first when we returned. Um, this uh, return from Babylon that the people of God have just uh, come back from is often called the second. Exodus, the people celebrate by building and living in these temporary shelters on roofs, outside homes, uh, in corners elsewhere in the city, all over the city. 
as a deliberate reenactment of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus when God has saved them from slavery in Egypt. It remembers the redemptive act of God in history and reminds themselves of how God has saved them. And we do the same, don't we, when we come together on a Sunday morning. We feast on the wine and the bread, don't we? We break bread together. We feast on Jesus' body and blood shed for us. We haven't done that for a while, so we're going to reintroduce that next week. Give it a go in that cramped little hall. We're going to have individual cups. Um, we'll have uh, the bread pre-chopped up to make it as simple for us as possible. We'll get into groups, share bread and wine together, and just feast on what, uh, what Jesus has done for us and remind ourselves of the joy that's ours in Christ. Uh, verse 10, the feasting also involves generosity, doesn't it? See that, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, i.e. give to those who don't have. There's something about feasting which is not just enjoying it ourselves, but is being generous. And when we become a people who feast in this way, there's actually a generosity that comes out of it as well, a desire to kind of give and bless Others, and this is one of the prophetic words, wasn't it? The foundation of works, increasing impact in the community, being an outworking of our joy because of the works that Jesus has done for us. Freely we've received from him, so freely we give. Um, Joy and Emma, do you want to come up? Maybe we'll sing one last song before we finish. God wants to rebuild us spiritually. He wants to do it by, uh, as we gather together as one, As we bring the book and are attentive to it, as we worship the Lord together, and as we feast and rejoice as a people. Shall we stand? I'll pray for us and then we'll uh, we'll worship. Our Lord, we are um, so grateful Um, for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you um, that you are interested in our lives. Wherever we're at spiritually at the moment, your desire is to bring us spiritual strength. I want to thank you, Lord, that we've got a church family here who um, bless one another, who look out for one another, who care for one another, who encourage each other. Pray you'd help us as we live life together in the spirit, that we would be a people who... um, whether it's Sundays or house groups, would be a blessing to each other. I pray you'd help us, Lord, be attentive to your word. Help us engage with it, even where we find it difficult. We need your Spirit's help in that. We pray, Lord, help us as we worship you and celebrate and feast and rejoice in what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us, forgiving us of our sin. Today is a day to rejoice. Amen? Amen. Let's rejoice together.